Okay, if I can call everybody uh, back to uh, uh, order. Apparently there is no video after all. I'm sorry to uh, greatly disappoint you. There is a, a carpet of mince pie crumbs up here. I was tempted to ask the guys back and say you've got uh, the length of my sermon to eat 50 mince pies, but we'll give that a miss for now. Um, my name is Morris. I'm one of the elders here. I've been part of the team here for 11 or 12 years. Um, I'm not someone, uh, together with my wife Rachel, that you will often see, because ordinarily I would be representing that part of our vision. Uh, if you know our vision, it is to make Jesus famous in Ipswich and in the nations, and that's the bit that I'm normally busy with, COVID allowing, that I would be uh, travelling with Rachel to visit a number of uh, churches that we are working with on the mainland of Europe. And there's about 30 churches and church plants, and our job is to support and care for those pioneering missionaries and build the churches together in networks and uh, really multiplying the DNA that we're trying to build here. So churches that love the Word of God, that are grace-filled communities, uh, that, that want people to encounter God by His power. You know, that is so important to us as we're going on this journey together from, um, you know, uh, our original uh, building to this much larger building. We, uh, we want to hold on to these values. They're very, very dear to us. And we want people, whenever anybody comes here, we want people to encounter the presence of God by his power. We don't want you just to be sitting, singing songs and nodding at the preacher and going home again. We want this to be a place of encounter. For those of you that have known Jesus for many years, for those of you that have only just met Jesus, for those of you who have never met Jesus, this is where you meet God. All right? You're going to meet God and encounter him in his power and in his presence. And this is very important to us. And this is the sort of DNA that we're wanting to replicate and multiply. Churches that are a family that, uh, where, where authority is, is, is shared and held with the heart of a servant, not dominating people or pushing people down, but lifting people up, all of these things. And that's the DNA that we're looking to multiply. Next year, Rachel and myself will be in uh, Sweden for three months, working with the, a number of churches we have connection with out there, then down to the south of Serbia for three months, particularly working among churches, among the Roma community, which is incredibly beautiful to see. And then we'll be at the end of next year for three months in the Netherlands, helping to plant our next church there in a town called Nijmegen. It's a beautiful city out there, and you'll hear more about that. So that's a little bit about myself. Uh, we're going to continue in our series looking at uh, being surprised by God. And my theme today is that we will be surprised by the majesty of God. When uh, Tom gave me this, uh, this theme, I thought, goodness, oh, this is huge. Where do you go with this? You know, where in the Bible do you go to talk about the majesty of God when the whole Bible is about the majesty of God? You know, you can go anywhere with this. And so we're going to be trying to uh, trace something of what it means to comprehend the majesty of God. It's something we often read about. It's something we often sing about. We've been singing about it today. But what are we reading or singing about? And I'm going to endeavor to unpack that a little bit today and inspire our hearts with the majesty of God. So let's start in Psalm 8 and verse 1. David declares this. He said, O Lord, our Lord, 
How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And then here we go again. In 1 Chronicles 29, it states, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head above all. I could read a thousand passages like this. Psalm 145. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. And again in Psalm 96, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens, splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So on and on we find this in scripture. And so the first thing for us to, uh, to grasp today is that God's majesty is recognized and revered. So that's it. We're, we're recogn- what we're going to do together now, just as we look at these truths, is to recognize the majesty of God. What does that mean? Well, we just read in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Now, David actually uses three separate words. Number one, O Lord. This is the word for what we would translate as Yahweh. This is the name of God. It was so sacred that the Jews would never even pronounce it. And then it's followed up. He says, O Lord, Yahweh, our Lord, Adonai. It's a title of respect in recognition of authority and of all sovereignty. And then thirdly, he uses the word majestic, which is a superlative, meaning mightier than everything else. So by combining, thank you, by combining these three terms, David is celebrating the supreme power of God over everything. Okay, he declares from the beginning that God has no rival, he is subject to no other power, and he reigns supreme. He is the transcendent God high above all others. This is what we mean when we speak of the majesty of God. He is the most senior, the most powerful, the highest authority, the most glorious person or family. Now, this week I was at a royal charity gala in London um, in support of Care for Children, um, some of you may be aware of that charity, Robin Liz Glover, looking to uh, take children out of uh, home uh, sort of uh, institutes, orphanages, and placing them into families. They've done, they, they estimate, over a million children since they started this initiative, this social uh, care program. It's absolutely beautiful. And we were, I was there with my wife, Rachel, uh, together with a table full of lovely people from this church here in Ipswich. Mark and Rachel were there. Ian and uh, Chris were there. Jeff and Jane and Anthony and Nicola. 
And uh, we were having a lovely time there. Apparently, I was told by one of the organisers there were eight or ten tables at the event, and it was typical that the rowdiest table was the church table. So we, uh, we had a little bit of a, a ticking off from here. Um, well, if you've ever hung out with these people, you'll know that that is to be absolutely understood. They are a rabble. Great rabble, lovely rabble. So this event was uh, graced by the patron of uh, the Care for Children Trust, which is uh, Prince Michael of Kent. And he's from the royal family of the United Kingdom. And uh, at one point, some of you might not know these personalities. If you do know these, know these personalities, there was Prince Michael sat on a table with Peter Shilton, a uh, famous goalkeeper of England, and Dave Demonish, uh, minister of, of our family of churches. And I would love to have seen what they were talking about. It was uh, extraordinary. But Now, there may be many views in this room about our monarchy. I'm not going to dig into that. But historically, the House of Windsor, of which Prince Michael of Kent would be part of that house, has been considered to be in the line of the most senior and powerful families in the land. So... You know, we could debate whether that's politically or ideologically true today, but historically, this is where it comes from. If you meet Queen Elizabeth, God bless her, the protocol is to call her Your Majesty. Because in history and tradition, she is recognised to be the head of the most powerful family in the land. So when we think of majesty, we're thinking of the most senior, the most powerful, the most glorious the most influential, the highest authority. God is the supreme divinity of power and glory in the universe. Amen? This is God. Now, some might say, who is this God that would have such a high view of himself? You hear people say this sometimes, don't you? You know, Why is this God being all high and mighty? <laughs> you know? Why does he think so much of himself? But you have to think this through, you know. There is an obvious reason to that point. If God acknowledges someone else to have more power and be more glorious and have more authority than himself, then as Douglas Adams would say, he would disappear in a puff of logic because he's no longer God. He's acknowledged something else as more supreme and has higher authority than him. So... God is God. He will give his glory to no other. He's not going to acknowledge someone else. People say, well, who is he all high and mighty? Because he is high and mighty. He's the great God. And so he's not going to acknowledge others. By the very definition of a supreme deity, God affirms his supremacy in all things. But there is another quality of majesty. We're speaking of majesty being supreme power, supreme authority, Above all others, the name above all names, but there is another quality to majesty that is very significant, and that is the quality of nobility. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, what I mean is that someone can have a lot of power, but they may not be at all majestic. Now, my dear old dad, he's going to be 93 next year. And he was born in 1929, so think of that date, 1929. It is astonishing to reflect on what he has seen in his lifetime. Yeah? The regimes that have risen and fallen, 
regimes that have been all-powerful in their season, but not in any way majestic. You could bring to mind many, many uh, figures of authority and power that have raised their head in the lifetime of my own father, but you would not think of them in any way as being majestic. You say, well, they're powerful, but they're not majestic. So what does that mean? It is the way that this power is used. Is this power used in a way that upholds truth and honor and integrity and is used to protect others and cause them to flourish? This is noble use of power. Or is it used to dominate and downtread and to crush people? Is this power used just for the benefit of the person? Or is it used for the benefit of everybody around them? We're going to come back to that point a little bit later on. But this is the other quality of majesty. We're not just recognizing and revering the majesty of God because he's powerful, but it's how he uses that power. It's, it's power with nobility, the noble use of power. So here in the Bible, in many ways as we've read, the God of the Bible has been presented as the supreme power over everything. God is the ultimate authority in all time and place, the ultimate person of great power and influence. He has no rival. He has no equal. People may say that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But if that power is in the hands of a God who is incorruptible, that is a different matter altogether. There is no better place for ultimate power than in the hands of an incorruptible God. So the psalmist says in, 90, in Psalm 92, he says, The Lord is upright. He is my rock. His, and there is no wickedness in him. And the Bible asserts this time and time again. There is no evil or unrighteousness or wickedness in God. His power is greater than anyone else's. He uses it for the highest and most noble of purposes. He is the most qualified person to hold ultimate power in the universe. So again, some of you could balk at this. Some of you could be thinking, who, who is this God? Who does he think he is? You know, who, who, is he saying, look, you know, I'm the only one you can trust to carry all authority? Well, he is saying that. But your response might be, who, who on earth does this guy think he is? Who does this God think he is telling us that he's the only one who can hold authority in his hands? Well, one of the questions you have to consider is, well, then, if you dismiss that, say, okay, I'm going to dismiss an all-powerful God, the God of majesty, of all authority. I'm going to dismiss that. You know, we don't trust him to have all power. We don't believe that he has all surpassing power. So dismiss that. Tell me, what is your alternative? What is the alternative? If we, if we dismiss our, our God of majesty, holding all power in his hands with the highest and noble purpose, if we dismiss that, who can we turn to? Who else is there in this world? Just think about it. What is, what, who can we turn to? What other options do we have? 
Have you seen anybody else carry great power with great nobility through history or today? I mean, our country is in an absolute turmoil of, of sort of re-evaluating our history. Always seen ourselves as the noble guardians of all that is good. And now we're sort of questioning that and thinking some of the way we went about doing things wasn't so great. You know, now I, I think you can go too, too far in, in the, you know, the idea being that those heroes were flawed and somehow our heroes today are not. No, every hero is flawed, you know. But who else can we turn to? Is there any other God we can turn to? Is there any other king or queen? Any other dictator? Any president? Any democracy? Who can we turn to if we have no God to turn to? And what eventually you'll discover is you dismiss things. Right, we've, we've done away with that. We've done away with that. You know, democracy, as Churchill says, the least worst option for governing a country. Not the best, not good, the least worst way of, of governing ourselves, of, of managing power. It's the least worst option. Dismiss all of that. What you're left with is yourself. That's what you're left with. You're left with yourself. Well, I've got to look after number one. There's no one else to turn to. Well, I can say is, good luck with that one. All right? Good luck with that one. Launch yourself into the world with only your own wits to protect you. I think that requires enormous faith. Without God and the protection of his mighty power, you are on your own. No one else is going to help you. So as we recognize God's majesty, we come to revere and respect his majesty. Psalm 93 says, The Lord is king, he is robed in majesty. Indeed, the Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. God is wrapped in majesty and glory and strength. His great power and strength, it calls out our esteem. It, it pulls esteem from us. We think, what a God. Look at this God. He is the all-powerful one. And he sort of wraps himself with our esteem and our praise and our worship. We worship him because he is glorious and powerful and uses his power for the benefit of everyone. Our worship and our esteem enrobes him with reverence and with majesty. So we recognize the majesty of God. And then we recognize that the majesty of God is revealed to us. How is the majesty of God revealed to us? There are so many ways in which God's majesty is revealed to us. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 95, The Lord is a great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land. And Paul really sort of unpacks this in, in Romans 1. He says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that is, his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In other words, just look around you. Paul is saying, actually, you just need to look around you to see the glory of God. 
And actually, you've re- nobody's, nobody has any excuse to say, well, where's God? You know, if, if God's real, prove it to me. Show me, show me. Where's God then? Prove it to me. Well, the, the Bible writers are just saying, well, look around you. Just look around you. You know, when I look around this room, you're looking, you're looking very fine this morning. But it's, it's testimony to me of the, of the power of the God I serve. Not just that you are here, that he made you, but that he had the power to save you. Yeah? I, I just see the glory of God in everything. I see, I, everywhere I look, I see the I see, it's just amazing. It's just incredible. And, and yet, I would be declared to be infantile. This is the, I, I meet this more and more as I go across the mainland of Europe. Because I think we've been one of the last countries in Europe to begin to let go of our untether ourselves from, from being shaped by biblical truth and biblical morality. And elsewhere you'd go, the, the intelligent in the nations would say, well, you're just a child. You're just a child to believe in God. You're just a child to believe that God created the universe. You're just, a chi- you're just, you're just an infant to believe that he made you and that he's going to rescue you. That is infantile thinking, not sophisticated, uh, intelligent academic, scientific thinking, rational thinking that we should have. Well, I tell you, I cannot accept, I cannot accept their premise that we're just a chemical accident. I just, I can't accept it. I don't have the faith that they have. They've got more faith than I have. That somehow this is all a chemical accident, that we're just a few steps away from sort of uh, one branch of the, the primate family. If you, if you want to believe that, well, go ahead and God bless you. Believe that. I don't want to believe that. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yeah? What, what, you know, what... I mean, I don't... I've got to get into deep waters here, all right? Just for a moment. Very deep waters, and then I'll pull out very, very quickly. All right? What, what rabbit have you seen developing a vaccine for myxomatosis? I haven't seen it. I've not seen it. Any mad cows running around? Quick, 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 let's sort out our vaccine for... No? No? I, some birds working in the, fa- in the... Trying to sort out avian flu. Let's see if we can sort this out. <laughs> we are amazing. I think we're amazing. I think we're just unbelievable. Are we? <laughs> okay, no. I just... You know, everywhere I see the common grace, I see God. If I go to a beautiful concert and I see musicians playing their instruments, they may not give any credit to God whatsoever. I say, but you can only do that because God made you. You can only do that because God gave you by his common grace. You you are the overspill of the creative God. Can't you see that? I'm sat on an airplane thinking, aren't we amazing? How did we do this? It's incredible, you know? And so for people to say, no, we're just a chemical accident and we've evolved from monkeys, I think, oh, I can't, I haven't got your faith. Sorry. You know, I'm the childish one. Okay. I'll be a fool for God. Don't be, we are steeped and saturated in this rubbish. Don't believe it. Don't sit there thinking, oh, no, how can I give an answer? for all these difficult questions about the fact that they found some, some mammoth fur somewhere. What am I going to do? 
No, it's by faith we believe that God created the world. That's what it says. Not by proof. It's by faith I believe he created it. Did he create it in seven days? He could create it in seven seconds if he wanted to. I don't care. You know, how long it took. I just know he did it because you are beautiful. This is amazing. I need to look out here and say, God is amazing. Look at what he does. What a creation. Yeah? But anyway, the Bible says that the majesty... So we're just talking about how can we recognize the majesty of God. Well, we recognize it. Just look around you. We recognize it. But the Bible says the majesty, the divine nature of God, has been revealed to us in a most perfect and wonderful way. His majesty has been fully revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the exact representation of God. In Colossians 2, it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What does the majesty of God look like? Look at Jesus. All Look at Jesus. Do you want to know what the majesty of God looks like? Look at Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Ooh, Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Now, the job of a prophet is to help us understand what is God thinking and doing and saying. Well, in Hebrews 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Glory to God. Glory to God. This is the majesty of God. Jesus is the ultimate priest. The job of the priest is to represent us to God and God to us. He mediates and stands between us. And in Hebrews 7, it says, Now there have been many priests, but since death has pre prevented them from continuing in office. So in the old days, we had to have loads of priests representing us before God because they kept dying. <laughs> That's why we need But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. We are permanently represented before God. He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Glory to God. The majesty of God draws out our worship and our reverence. It draws it out. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His mountain, the mountain of the Lord, is higher than all other mountains. He is the mediator of a better covenant between man and God. There are many covenants we read about in the Bible, but with the new covenant, God has sealed with his blood, Jesus' blood, this covenant surpasses them all. Sometimes people speak to me about the first covenant and the second covenant. Rubbish. Old, new. Old covenant, obsolete. New covenant surpasses. Don't mix the two. One of the biggest challenges and errors the church has made over 2,000 years is mixing the old covenant with the new covenant. Don't do it. It's, it's, a, it's an error. You'll miss out so much on the abundance of the joy of God. The old covenant is, oh, Jesus is the mediator of a covenant with God that is superior in every way. Glory to God. Glory to God. I could go on and on about the supremacy and transcendence of the majesty of God through Jesus Christ. He's a better husband. We were born into Adam. We were married to law, but now we are discharged from the law that kills and are married to Christ. 
and in whom there is abundance of life. He is the head of the body. We are the members. But he is the head from whom all life flows. He is the true vine. We are the branches. But the life-giving connection and sap all comes from him. He is the savior of the world. Perhaps for a good man, someone might give their life. But it's while we were still sinners and enemies of God that Jesus gave his life to save us. What a savior. He is the supreme warrior. I love this. You know, like David cutting off the head of Goliath, Jesus has disempowered our enemy. He has completely cut the head off of our enemy. We are no longer subject to the power of Satan. What a warrior. What a warrior. On his mighty steed, truth and justice strapped to his side. Come on, Jesus. We revere the majesty of God. And finally, we receive the majesty of God. God is all-powerful. By his mighty power, he has raised his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead and has saved us through the resurrection of his son. And he has, too, raised us from the dead in Christ Jesus. This was the beautiful demonstration that we've just seen. You know, and as Tim was speaking to us earlier, these dear, brave, five young people, very brave in this day and age, to say, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm for Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Very brave in this day and age. We love you and commend you for your testimony before us. It nourishes us to hear you sharing your confidence in Christ. And as you were raised up out of that water, you were raised to a new life. Only God has the power to do that. No one else has the power to do that. Only God can raise us from the dead. And we have just witnessed this. If God is for us, who can be against us? With God, all things are possible. He who is in, who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. In Zechariah 3, I love this. We read how Joshua, who was the high priest at the time, was standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was standing at his right side, accusing him. Right? So there, Satan, sitting there, Meh, 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 meh. Accuse, 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 accuse. Do you ever experience that in your life? Do you ever you experience that? The devil accusing you? Maybe other people accusing you? Maybe self-recrimination, accusing yourself? There's Satan. It's his job description. He's the accuser of the brothers. That's the job description of Satan. And he's accusing you. Yeah, you're rubbish. Who do you think you are? That's what they really think about you. You know, that's what, you know, who do you think, what? Accuse, accuse, accuse. What happens? God interrupts because he has the power to do so. (laughs) God gets in, shut up, Satan. Shut up. The Lord rebuke you. Okay, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? That is power. That is the power of God. Now, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those standing before him, Take off the filthy, filthy clothes. I've taken away your sin. And I put fine garments on you, a clean turban. Or a, the, the, we talk about a clean turban. It's a word, actually, that we often use for uh, mitre. You know how a bishop has a mitre, that funny sort of thing on his head. I think if you're wearing a mitre... 
All right? You cannot put your head down. <laughs> okay? You hold your head up. You hold your head up. Put that on his head. Head up. Keep your head up. Keep your head up. Satan accuses you. I don't accuse you because I see you as righteous in Jesus Christ. That is power. That is the power of God that he can shut up our accuser. There is no other power greater than the power of God. He is more powerful than any other power at work in your life today. And this is what I really want to finish with, because I really want us to go away with this, ringing in our ears, whatever is looming over your life at the moment, whatever has power over you at the moment, whatever is causing you to be fearful, whatever is causing you to hold back and think, I cannot fulfill my potential, whatever is causing you grief, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's words people spoke in your history, maybe it's your financial pressures, maybe it's a hundred, maybe your mental health is, you're struggling with your mental health, that's okay, all right? Whatever it is, whatever power is looming over you, God's power is greater because he's all-powerful. You know, the G- Jesus in the boat said, let's cross over, the storm comes up. The, the guys in the boat, they're fishermen, all right? They're used to this, are terrified. And they, Jesus, Jesus wakes up, all right. You know, didn't I tell you we we're going to get to the other side? I did tell you that. But anyway, says to the waves and the wind, shut up. And they stop. And now, the disciples were terrified of the storm. Now they're more terrified of Jesus. <laughs> this guy has the power to shut the waves and the wind up. This is incredible. You know, he's got more power. And so they became terrified of him. I remember someone once used the ex- example of Jurassic Park, the gospel according to Jurassic Park, where, as you know, in the first film, they're being stalked by this escaped Tyrannosaurus Rex, and they're all <gasps> afraid of the Tyrannosaurus Rex, and they're running away. And then later on, near the end of the film, now they're being chased by the velociraptors, and the velociraptors have trapped them, and they're about to be jumped on and killed by the velociraptor, and suddenly the T-Rex turns up again, and they go and hide with the T-Rex. I mean, that's, that's interesting. A little while ago, they were so scared of him, they were running away from him. But now, because this one is scary, now they're terrified of the velociraptor, the T-Rex seems like a good option. <laughs> We're going to hide with him. And they're going to hide with the T-Rex. And it's a bit like this. You know, they were terrified of the storm, and then Jesus quietened the storm, and then they were more terrified of Jesus. And they thought, well, at least we're with him. We're with him. So whatever power you're wrestling with at the moment, I just want you to know God's power is greater. All right, very soon we're going to finish. There'll be an opportunity for you to meet with some people down here to pray with you. If you need courage, if you, if you want to know and be reassured and be reaffirmed that whatever power in your life is intimidating you, God's power is greater, then these people will pray for you. I want to encourage you to go. If you've never encountered the power of God, go and ask them to pray for you. If you've never given your life over to God, Go and pray. Go, let people pray with you because otherwise you're on your own. No one else in this world is going to help you. All right? We have to. This is the gospel. We have tried to put ourselves in the place of God. And we've taken power 
to look after our own affairs and we have failed. Okay? God has put himself in our place and he succeeded. And he has the victory and he has the power and in every way he is able to protect you and care for you. But you have to put yourself under his power. You've got to give your power away and put yourself under his power. You've got to say, right, God, I'm not going to take responsibility for my life anymore. I'm going to hand it over to you. The God of power, his power is greater. The God of unfailing love overcomes our fears. He's not, God is not an assistant or a consultant or a partner. He's king. He's all-powerful. And we revere and receive the majesty of God. Power in the hands of of someone who knows how to handle ultimate power. So can I just ask you to stand for a moment? I just want to pray for us. Let's just, um, if you feel comfortable, just hold out your hands. Just a way of saying we're going to receive from heaven. It's also a way of surrendering to God. Saying, look, my hands are, I surrender to you, God. My hands are open. My heart is open. I'm not going to grasp or grab this for myself. Lord God, thank you that you have revealed your majesty to us. Where would we be if you'd not revealed yourself? You didn't need to reveal yourself to us. You could have just, you were entirely self-content. Like you wanted to share your love with us. You made us to, so that you could enjoy us and that we could enjoy you and we rebelled against you, but you knew that would happen and you made a way for us to be reconciled with you and Thank you that your power is greater than our rebellion. Thank you that your power is greater than sin and death. You are the all-powerful one. We revere you in your majesty, in your splendor, in your glory. We thank you, God, that all power is in your hands. Where would we be if it was in the hands of another? No, all power is in your hands, God. And we, we, we say hallelujah. Thank you, God. And we just want to pray for anybody here today who feel that their life is in the grip of another power, of a different power, whatever that might be, Lord, or the things we've already mentioned, just feeling that we're powerless, that we're, someone else has power over us, a situation has power over us. Speak right now, Holy Spirit. We're not here just to listen to nice ideas, Lord. We're here to meet you. I pray now, speak into the hearts of people here today and remind them, if there is some area where they are struggling with feeling that power is not in their hands, it's in the hands of someone else who does not have their best interests at heart or in some other situation. And God, we want to put our lives in your power and in your hands. I want to pray for anybody here who has not given your life over to God. By trusting in Jesus Christ. I'm just appealing to you. There's nowhere else to turn. This world has got nothing else to offer. It doesn't matter what you shape yourself to, what ideology or political party or, or hedonistic, what, you know, it doesn't matter. We're just here, then we die, and it's all over. No, no, it's not. No, you've been beautifully created for beautiful purpose. Hand your life over to God, hand it over to His power. He will protect you. And he will put purpose in your heart that will make your heart sing. Now help us in all of these things, we pray, Lord God, 
We pray that in this place, Lord, now and for as long as we are here gathered to worship you, that Ipswich would know that you are the majestic one. You're the all-powerful one. All glory and power and might and splendor and strength belongs to you. And it's the safest place for us to ascribe glory is to the name of the almighty God. Thank you, God. Glory to God. Amen. Let's sing.